0: You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz, and I was at the 2008 AMA Medical Communications Conference in San Diego, where I had the opportunity to speak with several notable figures and pioneers in the field of medical communications. It's time for Food for Thought for Medicine, and I'm joined today by Dr. John LaPuma, a board-certified internist specializing in weight loss, nutrition, and lifestyle change, He is the medical director for the Santa Barbara Institute for Medical Nutrition and Healthy Weight. And he is the recent author of an upcoming book called Chef MD's Big Book of Culinary Medicine, A Food Lover's Roadmap to Losing Weight, Preventing Disease, and Getting Really Healthy. Dr. Lupuma, welcome to our program.
1: Matt, thanks so much. Thanks for having me here.
0: I am so curious to find out about your background. You have a very interesting, integrative background between... Uh, the medical arts, and the culinary arts. Tell us about that.
1: Matt, thank you. I've had wonderful teachers in my life, and uh, the best advice about careers I ever got was to add them instead of change them. So I uh, was privileged to go to Baylor College of Medicine in Houston and train in Los Angeles and then do a fellowship in medical ethics at the University of Chicago and practice for eight years in medical ethics and internal medicine, when I decided, having gained 30 pounds and not being able to give good advice to my patients, that I ought to learn more about healthy food. So I took a break and went to cooking school for a year and wrote a book and went back to medical practice to try to put together healthy eating and good health.
0: And where did you go to uh, culinary school?
1: At the Cooking and Hospitality Institute of Chicago in downtown Chicago. And then I worked at Topolabombo, a great Really fabulous Mexican restaurant uh, downtown from noon to midnight on Fridays for about four years. For four years. Uh, while integrating back into your practice or completely exclusively uh, in the culinary area? No, I've, I practiced medicine about half time during that time and then in addition. Uh, did some cooking, and uh, continued to write and speak. And actually worked on a couple of books that your listeners may have heard of, The Real Age Diet and Cooking the Real Age Way, which I co-authored with Mike Royzen, a great anesthesiologist and critical care medicine specialist, now at the Cleveland Clinic. What was the purpose of that book? What were you impressing upon your readers? In the Real Age series, we tried hard to assemble the data for people who read the book to show that you can actually find the difference between your biological age and your birthday age. So your biological age or your real age is the age of your body. It's physiology, it's anatomy, how your body has handled aging as you've developed. Your birthday age, of course, everybody knows. And what we really want is a younger biological or real age. And we show people in the real age diet food that we think can make you younger as you eat it. And in the cookbook, give 80 recipes for doing just that.
0: Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about your background a little bit again. What was the level of difficulty, would you say, in making the transition from a medical career to a culinary career and then back to a medical career? Did you find that it was something that was very natural to do, uh, or was there a lot of red tape for you in terms of making that that change?
1: Well, I continued to practice medicine during the time I went to culinary school and the time that I worked in the restaurant, so it was actually an addition I found the two actually supportive of one another. That is, I learned a lot in uh, practicing medicine that was actually quite helpful in a restaurant kitchen and in culinary school uh, from the ability to ask good questions and and notice details to trying to uh, research areas of interest that popped up in the kitchen. And even occasionally uh, suture a little bit when uh, things got out of control. And so the two really integrate very well And now in my medical practice in Santa Barbara, I see patients only by referral who want to make lifestyle changes and do so in a serious way as in a project-oriented fashion, like they might do a business project. And that actually brings together food that can work like medicine, as well as the idea that We're measuring cholesterol levels and blood pressure and glycohemoglobin and CRPs and looking at gout symptoms and asthma symptoms in a careful, empiric way and using food and recipes that people really enjoy and actually taste way better than they thought it would. Let's talk about that concept of food working medicinally.
0: Uh, Do you find that that is more a matter of choice of foods or quantity or
1: both? I don't know the answer to that, Matt. I don't know if it's simply quantity or choice of foods because the best evidence that is emerging is in eating patterns. What we're seeing in the literature are eating patterns being highlighted. I mean by this, the Mediterranean diet, even the traditional Asian diet, a low glycemic load diet, a low fat diet, the DASH diet, the dietary approaches to stop hypertension diet. Each of these diets have... A remarkable effect on common chronic conditions that we're now just seeing emerge in the literature and some of it is retrospective and some of it is epidemiologic and some of it increasingly is prospective where eating patterns seem to make the most difference on top of that though we do see particular foods and and in our case particular recipes that seem to have an impact if eaten regularly enough on patients who for example, want to reduce their acne vulgaris. You have a 16-year-old with terrible acne. And what's good for that teenager? Well, you can rest assured it's not a Slurpee and cheese its But, of course, high glycemic load foods like that exacerbate acne vulgaris. And low glycemic load foods and low glycemic load recipes, like, for example, my cedar planked salmon with mango avocado salsa featured in the book, well, that recipe is actually good for acne vulgaris because it is low glycemic and because it supplies essential omega-3 fatty acids that many kids just don't get. That's
0: fascinating. Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Bernholtz, and I'm joined today by Dr. John LaPuma, an internist specializing in weight loss, nutrition, and lifestyle change, and director of the Santa Barbara Institute for Medical Nutrition and Healthy Weight. He's also the author of Chef MD's Big Book of Culinary Medicine, A Food Lover's Roadmap to Losing Weight, preventing disease and getting really healthy. Uh, Dr. Lupuma, I'm really... Curious to follow up on some of these concepts you've just been sharing with us. What is some of the research, the evidence-based medicine behind indicating specific foods that are healthy or medicinal for specific disease states?
1: Matt, in the research for this book, we reviewed 3,000 peer-reviewed studies in the medical literature, the scientific literature, even the agricultural literature. And believe it or not, there's a culinary literature that looks at how foods work in the body and, and this, some of it is laboratory-based, some of it is animal-based, and some of it is in actual clinical studies. We tried to select only those trials that were done in people. And as you know, too often one finding occurs a- in the laboratory and it's suddenly on the nightly news. We tried to look at only clinical studies and preferably those studies that were prospective, but we included retrospective studies as well. I list in the book about 40 pages of references that are scientific, that is just a selection of uh, the scientific references that we used. And it really is such a fast changing field that we find it very difficult to keep up, but find also that there's enough of a base, of an evidence base, that we can say some helpful things about acne, about ADHD, for example, uh, hyperactivity. Uh, about heart disease, certainly, about lowering cholesterol, about an optimal diet for diabetics and for pre-diabetics. And actually, I cover 40 different conditions in this book, just as a starting point, not the last word by any means, but just as a starting point for people who want a roadmap and still really love food. There's no This doesn't need to be hard, and people make it harder than it needs to be. Good healthy food is delicious by its nature, and just knowing a couple of cooking tricks and a couple of eating out tricks makes all the difference. And I spent 320 pages doing it, and uh, I really am eager for people to to dive into this and to share with them this great food and this great lose-pounds-not-flavor philosophy.
0: Well, I hate to disclose too much from your book or give anything away, but uh, what are some of those tricks that you might recommend just um, as a teaser, if you will? Oh, I
1: got plenty. Actually, there's a wonderful study that showed that you can absorb seven times as much lutein from a spinach salad if you add a quarter of an avocado. Now, why is that? Well, it's because lutein is a carotenoid. It is by nature fat soluble. An avocado, of course, has lots of monounsaturated fat, more than poly or or saturated. And the monounsaturated and other fats within avocado help those carotenoids, including lutein, become more bioavailable. The same thing is true for a pizza. Bake a pizza at 450 for 7 minutes instead of 350 for 14 minutes, and you double the bioavailability of the antioxidants in wheat in the crust. You leave a watermelon out at room temperature. Eat the watermelon at room temperature instead of ice cold. The lycopene in watermelon is much more bioavailable. You absorb more than if it's ice cold, one after another. And the same thing is true for lots and lots of foods. And I think bioavailability is kind of a secret that I'm hoping to give to everyone as a way of actually getting more from your food. You can absorb more of the good things and leave some of the bad things behind just by combining foods a little bit.
0: I'm still stuck on the idea that pizza might in some way actually be good for you.
1: You bet. You can't live in Chicago as long as I did and, and not think pizza is good for you.
0: But is there any evidence or hardline understanding that what you're talking about being more bioavailable, uh, the micronutrients therein, are going to lead to healthier outcomes, that those are actually useful uh, in terms of your digestion, your, your overall eating states, your, your health?
1: Well, I think if you believe the evidence that, for example, lutein helps prevent macular degeneration and you take as seriously as I do the occurrence of blindness from macular degeneration and its prevalence in people over the age of 65, then there's probably not a definitive study that shows that absorption of lutein is the answer. I think it's probably only one component. And frankly, there are probably many more components in an avocado, in a spinach salad, in peppers that are important phytonutrients that work together. And lutein is simply the one that we've identified as having great activity and being stored in the macular and filtering blue light to take away harmful rays. However, we have to start somewhere. And giving people a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of something good they can do for themselves that makes themselves feel good tells them, look, it doesn't matter so much what you did to yesterday. It doesn't matter what you did last night. Start today. Just start today. Do this one thing, and you can start to make a huge difference in your life. And it's amazing what power that has. People know that they're not supposed to eat McDonald's food. They know they're not supposed to eat fast food that's bad for you. What they don't know is something that's good for themselves. And we as physicians, I think, have a responsibility to offer good food as well as good advice. And if we just point people in that right direction, that's all they'll need. That's all they'll need. They can make tomorrow better than today.
0: Well, Dr. Lupuma, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Matt. You've been listening to ReachMD XM 157, highlighting the 2008 AMA Medical Communications Conference in San Diego. For questions and comments, or to access our library of interview podcasts, log on to reachmd.com, and register with the promo code RADIO. Thanks so much for listening.